Isaiah chapter 9 and then Luke chapter 1. This is one of the great uh, prophecies about Jesus, the Messiah. Now I'll begin reading with verse 2 in Isaiah 9. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness... On them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. They are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling tramping warrior in battle tumult And every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And then to Luke chapter 1, we start with verse 26 and read down to verse 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, "Uh, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel of the Lord departed from her. May God bless to us this reading 
from his holy word. Now, I think something that we often miss this time of the year, it's there and people know it and and have seen it and have heard about it, but still, I think a lot of times we miss is the reality, the, the truth that this birth that we celebrate had been prophesied, had been predicted about five centuries before it occurred. Now, this was not something that just happened out of the blue. This was not the kind of thing that, that happened and then somebody looked back onto prophecy and said, oh, okay, well, that's what this is and we'll just make this fit, we'll make this work. I mean, obviously, there are some things where you probably could have done that, but then there are other things like the fact that Jesus was born in Bethlehem that is impossible to predict beforehand. You know, it's not like Jesus in the womb said, hey, mom, let's, uh, we need to hightail it to Bethlehem because I'm about to come out and you need to be there for me to come out. You know, that kind of thing doesn't happen. And so here we have these predictions about a coming Messiah, a coming king. And these predictions came to pass almost 500 years later. It is uh, one of the things that is uh, one of the confirmations of our faith. It tells us that our faith in Jesus Christ is not some man-made religion. It's not some human-generated idea. It's not some creative concept that somebody came up with. I mean, today you might imagine that happening because we have science fiction and all these things and movies and, and TV and the ability to create all kinds of illusions, but that simply didn't exist back in the day of Jesus. There was no way that somebody could have gone after the fact and doctored up the Old Testament prophecies, and yet there are more than 50 prophecies in the Old Testament about the coming Messiah that Jesus personally has fulfilled. And so it's a very, very powerful thing. And it helps us to stand strong in our faith. But also... These prophecies give us some ideas, some clues about the mission, the ministry, the person of Jesus. And we looked at that last week with this idea of Emmanuel, that God is with us and God is for us. But this prophecy today also gives us some insights into who this king would be, into who Jesus himself actually is. Because we know that the one who has fulfilled these prophecies is Jesus Christ himself. And so as we look at these prophecies, we can discern more depth, more truth, more richness about who Jesus is as the king, as the one who inaugurated the kingdom of God, as the one who advances the kingdom of God. Who is Jesus as the king? Who is he for us? What can we expect? What did he come to do? What is his identity? We learn a lot of things from this passage. And this passage, I've I'm going to break it down into three as often I do. We're going to learn some of the benefits that Jesus would bring as the coming king. We're going to learn more about the identity of Jesus as the coming king. And we're going to learn about some of the promises of Jesus as the coming king. First of all, and we're going to look all of this in in Isaiah primarily, in this Isaiah passage. Uh, First of all, Isaiah starts out 
in this prophecy by telling us some of the things that are going to happen, some of the benefits that that God's people will receive through the king who is coming. He starts out and he says, the people uh, in the darkness have seen a great light. The first benefit is the light shines in the darkness. I mean, we look around us right now, think about our world, and frankly, there are times when our world seems like a pretty dark place. You know, certainly when we look at our government over the last couple of years, uh, we see it being kind of dysfunctional. We look at at knife crime uh, in the Capitol. We look at the terrorist incident. We look at all these things that are going on. There's a lot of good things that are happening as well in our world, but there's a lot of darkness in our world, and we struggle sometimes to say, okay, how do we deal with this? How do we understand this? Well, we learn from Isaiah that the light, Jesus, shines in this darkness. The point of light in all of the darkness that arounds us around us, the point of light in all the sin, in all the corruption, in all the depression, and all the despair, is Jesus Christ. And if we want to see the reality going on around us, if we want to see our world illuminated, the only way we can do it is through the light that Jesus brings. If you try to figure it out in your own mind, with your own own mental capacity, you'll never be able to figure it out. But the light of Jesus shines in this darkness so that we can see more clearly what God is doing. Then there's another benefit. There's a promise that comes there in verse 3. And I would say, to summarize it, as the joyful multiplication of God's people. Now a lot of times when we look at what's happening in our nation, we can see in many places of our nation the church the church of Jesus Christ, seems to be shrinking. There are many places where the church it just doesn't seem to be growing. Uh, there's so more open hostility toward the church, not only in our nation, but also in the United States and many other places in the West. There's a hostility toward Christianity that seems to be growing, an unwillingness for people to really listen to the gospel because they feel like they've heard it before. And it's easy for us to get a little despondent and think, okay, well, all we need to do is just hunker down and wait until Jesus comes back Uh, and rescue us from this world where we're falling back, we're not pushing forward. But the truth of Jesus as this king, the benefit is that there will be a joyful multiplication of God's people, and that joyful multiplication is going on in the world around us. You know, we often think of Iran, for example, as a, as a dark place, as a place in bondage to uh, Islam and, and darkness and such. But one of the greatest awakenings in the world is going on in Iran right now. Thousands of people are becoming Christians in Iran. Or China. We know all the things that are happening in China, and yet thousands of people every day are choosing to follow Jesus in China. All around us in our world... The kingdom of God is moving forward. The church of Jesus Christ is multiplying, and that is a promise of Jesus, and we will continually see the church grow until Jesus comes again. The church is not going to decline. The church is going to move forward. And if the church declines in one place, 
That one place does not measure the totality of the church. The totality of the church globally is that it's going to continue to grow and continue to multiply. And the blessings of that multiply, multiplication will continue to multiply as well. Because as the church grows, we bless the world. As the church grows, we bless the world. And that's promised in this coming king. And then we look at verse 4. And verse 4 is telling us that the yoke of the burdens on our lives, the the control that sin has, that's that rod that's on the shoulder. Uh, The power of oppression is broken in Jesus Christ. The power of all these things are broken in Jesus Christ. All the burdens that you carry. Do you know what? Those burdens do not define you. Those things that weigh you down, whether they're your sin, whether they're your brokenness, whether they're your weaknesses, whether they're uh, the, the things that you don't do well, those things do not determine your life. Jesus has broken the yoke. You are not tied down to your weaknesses, your faults, your failures. That's the promise here in this coming King. We're not tied down to these things. The control, sin does not control your life. Sometimes you feel like it does because you sin, you do the same thing time after time after time and you think, oh God, will I never get free from all of this? But that's just a lie of the enemy. That doesn't control your life. Jesus has broken the control of sin over your life. The power of demonic oppression and any oppressor, that power has been neutralized in the cross of Christ. This is the promise, and the promise is that all of these things happen as they did in the day of Midian. And you all say, oh yeah, right, right, right. I remember, yeah, Midian, right, right. yeah, yeah, I I got that, yeah. Uh, Listen, I had to look it up too, so you know, it's just, uh, it's like with all of us. What is Midian? What is he talking about? He's talking about Gideon. Now remember what happened in the story of Gideon. Gideon was going to overthrow. God said, I'm I'm tired of these Midianites. I'm going to overthrow them. And so Gideon got 10,000 guys together and said, okay, well, these 10,000, that's a pretty small number compared to, you know, the tens of thousands of Midianites. But okay, maybe if God's with us, we can get with these 10,000. And God said, hey, Gideon, baby, you got too many. So, you know, go down to the water, and those that drink like a dog, you'll take some of those. Uh, and so he ends up with 300 men. And so, okay, so he says, okay, God, I got the 300 men, that's great. Give me, uh, give me a machine gun and a tank, and we'll take care of the Midianites. <clears throat> and he says, no, take a lamp and some jars. And then God brings about the victory... They smashed the jars and the lamps, you know, for the Lord and for Gideon. And the Midianites like, ah! And they run away and they're killing themselves and all this. And God does it. That's the whole point of the story. God does it. And that's what Isaiah is saying. This is all happening. The yoke of your burdens are broken. The control of sin in your life has been uh, overcome. And the power of oppression has been destroyed, has been neutralized just because of God acting. It doesn't come about by human strength. It comes about by God's activity in your life. These things happen. 
And that's the promise through this coming king. That's one of the benefits of the coming king. And the last benefit there, verse 5, is that the enemy is completely defeated. The enemy is completely defeated. Now, for most of us, we go through battles, right? I mean, I've been in spiritual battles just this last week. But the point of this passage is that every battle is won in the king. Isn't that cool? Even if you lose, you don't lose. How awesome is that? You can't lose. Even if you lose, you don't really lose. Because the king has won the battle. It's already won. These are the benefits that have been prophesied through this coming king. These are benefits that we receive through the kingship of Jesus. So who is this king? Obviously, we know who the king is. I've just been saying his name. Uh, I should have said spoiler alert. But uh, sorry, I didn't do that. So if any of you had a spoiler, you know, I spoiled your, you know, you you hadn't read ahead in the story. Uh, I'm sorry, I apologize for that. Spoiler alert. Uh, So we know the identity is Jesus, but this tells us some important things about the identity. Uh, it says, you know, for us, unto us a child is born, uh, to us a son is given. I can't hardly say that without joining in, in uh, one of the choruses from Handel's Messiah. You know, I, I was talking about this text on, on Thursday at the service, a slightly different context. And, and I said, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Everybody, unto us. A son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. I've just done like all four parts at various points in time. But, uh, you know, this Handel's Messiah, it's great. Uh, if you've never listened to it, you should go look it up, listen to it. If you've ever sung it, you'll never get those phrases out of your mind. Like I, I did this, like, years ago, more than three decades ago, sang parts of Handel's Messiah, and they're still in my brain. So the key thing, a child is born to us. Now, the emphasis here in both those lines, in their parallel lines, is the to us part. This is just reinforcing what we saw last week, that the king that is coming is for us. He's given to us. He's given to the church. He's given to the people of God. We live for Jesus, but the text is saying Jesus came for us, for our benefit, to us. We belong to Christ, but Christ belongs to us. That is extraordinary when you think of how God is so completely for us that he came to us. The son was given, Jesus was given to us. And then it says, the government shall be upon his shoulders. Now the interesting thing about this this idea, and the government is the kingdom of God. The interesting thing is this shall be 
can also be translated as is. There's a bit of ambiguity there. Uh, And part of that's the nature of the Hebrew language. The Hebrew language doesn't have quite the specificity that English does or that Greek does, for example. But I think part of this is to remind us of this dynamic that there is in the government of God, the kingdom of God, this dynamic between what we call what is already here and what is not yet here in all of its fullness. In other words, the king is here for us right now. The government is upon his shoulders right now, but there is a fulfillment of that that will come at some point in time in the future. So the, the government is and shall be upon his shoulders. And this helps us to live in this tension because a lot of life is bound up in this tension between we know what things should be like, we know what our faith should be like, we know what our lives should be like, but they're not quite there. And sometimes we think, okay, Jesus, where are you? Jesus is here. He is the king. He has a kingdom. He has a government. The government is on his shoulders, but it's not yet here in all of its fullness. And so until the day that Jesus comes again, we will always live in a bit of a tension between the is and the shall be. And we must never allow this tension to cause us to despair. And I think this is the reason that God is pointing us to this tension, this is and shall be tension of our lives. Because otherwise, we look at all the things that aren't happening, and God knows us in our weaknesses. We tend to look at the negative things rather than the positive things. Every human being has a tendency to look at the negative over the positive, whether you're a pessimist or an optimist. We all tend to do this. God knows this. And so he's saying, okay, guys, don't worry about this. Jesus is in power, but he shall be in power in fullness. The government is and shall be upon his shoulders. And his name. Who is this king? How do we really get to know him? Well, then Isaiah tells us four key things about him. Now, there's a little bit of debate in scholarly circles. You may not want to know this at all. Uh, Is it wonderful counselor or wonderful counselor? Now, personally, I think it's wonderful counselor because of the parallels. Hebrew is all about parallels. So wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. You see, there's two parallels there for each one. And so that's why I come down on that. But I don't think it really makes a ton of difference. Uh, But just in case you were curious. But I think Isaiah then points out four things that we can know about this king. And we know the king is Jesus. The first thing is he is a wonderful counselor. The idea of counselor here is somebody who always knows the right thing to do. Jesus knows the right thing and he's, he will lead us in a wonderful way toward the right thing to do if we, if we allow him to come alongside of us and walk with us. That's the idea. So Jesus is the wonderful counselor. He is the person who wants to come alongside us together and alongside you personally to lead you in the right way. And he knows what the right way is if you will take time to listen to him and to obey him. That's a key thing. So he is the wonderful counselor. 
He's also the mighty God. And this word mighty here points to a warrior. So it's not just that God is almighty, that God is all-powerful, okay? Because God is almighty. He is all-powerful. But when it says that this king will be the mighty God, he's saying this king will be the warrior God who fights on our behalf. Jesus is a warrior who fights on your behalf, who fights on our behalf, and he doesn't lose. Jesus is a warrior. Even the cross, Jesus wins. Even in the cross, Jesus wins. And then it says he's the everlasting Father. Now for us, you know, we we believe the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and so that's kind of like, okay, well, well, I thought God the Father was the Father and God the Son, Jesus was the Son. That's true. That's not what Isaiah is talking about. He's not saying, in fact, it doesn't say the everlasting Father. It says everlasting Father. That means that Jesus is somebody who has a Father's heart toward his people, always seeking our good. That's why he's the everlasting father. Jesus never stops seeking our good. As the king, Jesus is always after for what benefits us as a father would look out for his children. I'm really blessed that I know a lot of wonderful fathers in this church. Uh, And I've never seen any of you say, oh, well, I really hope my child fails and makes a real mess of their lives uh, and has the worst possible outcomes because they deserve it. They really irritated me, and so I hope everything goes bad for them. No father does that. Yet many people often think that God is like that. And Isaiah is saying, no, God, Jesus, this coming king, is the everlasting father. He has an everlasting father's heart always seeking our good. And then the final characteristic here is the prince of peace. This word prince is a very rarely used word. It's it's one who has dominion. Peace is the word shalom, which in Hebrew is not the absence of battle, uh, but it's well-being. It's that which promotes good and well-being, health and wholeness in our lives. And so Jesus... Not only is he the wonderful counselor who comes alongside of us and leads us in the right way, the warrior God who fights on our behalf, the everlasting father who has this perpetual father's heart toward us seeking our good, but he is the one who has dominion over everything that brings peace and well-being to his people, and he wants to bring that peace and well-being. So he is the source of all the peace, all the shalom, that we would have in our lives. And so this is the identity of this coming king that we know as Jesus. So there are certain things that he does, blessings that he brings. There's an identity here. And there's, there are some promises as well, some predictions about his kingship, about what's going to happen with this coming king. Uh, this is all in verse 7. His kingdom and his peace shall continually abound. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full, have it abundantly. And the promise of Isaiah is that uh, this coming king, as he comes, when he comes, 
this, his peace and his kingdom will continually abound, will continually grow. And that's, that's what we've seen the last 2,000 years. The kingdom of Jesus as king has continually abounded, has continually grown, and will do so, we're confident, until Jesus comes again and then even beyond that. It also says that he is going to fulfill everything that God has promised. Jesus himself is the fulfillment of all God's promises. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, all God's promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. So Jesus is going to fulfill everything that God promised by establishing and upholding the kingdom of God with justice and with righteousness that begins now and continues for eternity. This is a promise. This is going to happen with Jesus Christ. And the final promise here is that God's zeal is what's going to accomplish this. God will do all of this without human effort and agency. In other words, we don't have to do it. It's not about our power. It's not about our strength. And frankly, so often, you know, one of the greatest mistakes we make as Christians, this is especially true for us men, and I'm guilty of this. I was repenting of this yesterday, actually, is the tendency to do everything in our own strength. You know, we men, and women do this too, but, you know, men, come on, let's, let's own it. Let's own it. It's us. Or we say, oh, thanks, God, for your great idea. Now get out of the way, and I'll do it for you. And Isaiah says, no, it's not the way it's going to be. It's not going to happen because we we establish a Christian political party and get into government. It's not going to happen because we elect the right party in government and get a good prime minister. It's not going to happen because we get the right celebrities who become Christians and then they give us a really good testimony, a really good witness for their lives. It's not going to happen because we have enough money It's not going to happen through the right partnerships. It's only going to happen by the power and zeal of God. And God is zealous and jealous to make this happen. And he will do it in Jesus. Doesn't mean what we do is unimportant. It's not. But what we do is only and always in partnership with God under obedience to God. We cannot do it in our own strength, our own wisdom, our own ability. The zeal of the Lord is going to accomplish this. Jesus is the coming king. He is the coming king. So the question is, how do we respond to this reality? How do we respond? Well, I think the passage in Luke gives us two clues here, and I'll close with this. The first one is what the angel Gabriel said. Hey, Mary, guess what? You're going to get pregnant. Yeah, I know, you haven't had sex, but you're going to have a baby. It's going to be God's doing. And don't worry, uh, for proof, Elizabeth, who was barren, who's never had kids, and now she's really old, she's about to have a baby, and she's actually six months pregnant. Nothing is impossible with God. We begin by having faith. And our faith is not in our faith. 
Our faith is not in our ability. Our faith is in the reality of what Angel Gabriel said, nothing is impossible with God. Let's just say that together. Nothing is impossible with God. We need to remember that. And we need to tell, us, tell ourselves that almost every single day. And that needs to stir our faith, that reality that nothing is impossible with God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith in the, the ability of God to accomplish these things, we might never see it. But nothing is impossible with God. The second is that our response has to be like Mary's. If we want to see the power of this coming King, if we want to see all these blessings come in our lives, if we want our eyes open to see the reality of who Jesus Christ really is as the prophesied King, as the Messiah who was to come, if we want to see the promises unfold and fulfilled that uh, the Messiah brings out, if we want to see all of this, experience all of this, then we must have the heart of Mary. And notice what Mary said. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. What did Mary do? She surrendered herself to God. She surrendered herself. She surrendered her future. She surrendered her identity. Think about that. As an unmarried woman in a day when you didn't have unmarried women, at least in a respectable sense, she surrendered everything to God. Her future, her plans for her life, her desires for her husband, where she would live, what she would do, where she would go. In that simple phrase, she said, God... Jesus, I surrender to you fully and completely in every area of my life. We need faith and we need surrender to see Jesus as this King. Will you surrender your life to Him? If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ initially, then I'd invite you to do that. Say, Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Forgive my sin and be my leader. But you know what? If you're a believer in Jesus, we need to surrender our lives to God every single day. Because if you're like me, I often find that, you know, on Monday, I might willingly lay my life down, but on Tuesday, I'm more than happy to take it up again. On Monday, I might like to surrender my life, but on Wednesday, I think, you know, Jesus, maybe I should take it back for a bit because I don't like exactly where you're leading me. And every single day, as followers of Jesus, we need to say, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your will. I surrender to you. Let's pray. Gracious God, Lord Jesus, behold, we are your servants. We are your servants. Let it be to us according to your will. Let our lives move, move forward 
according to your will. In this moment, we choose to surrender to you afresh and anew. We choose to believe that nothing is impossible with God. We have that faith, but we also want to have that surrender to see the fulfillment of our faith. And so by your Holy Spirit, we surrender ourselves to you. Come and fill us. Let the Holy Spirit come upon us and lead us so that we might experience the full kingship of Jesus as revealed through your servant servant Isaiah. We love you, praise you, and worship you. And we do all this in Jesus' name. Amen.